here on the Sussex National Course. We're with Scott Litchfield. He's the course manager here. Scott, what a, what an office to work in. It's fabulous here. Uh, yes, it's uh, it's a privilege to be honest. Uh, it's uh, a golf course that uh, is uh, very large um, and uh, very challenging. So you talk about challenges there. I mean, we've got a challenge with the wind here so we <laughs> we're fighting the elements a little bit but what are the, the key challenges you've got here as a as a course manager looking after two courses I think uh, with my team the main challenge is getting everything done throughout the week uh, it's such a large course so uh, it's it's really down to planning uh, which is where I'm very fortunate to have a very good deputy Andrew Norman who's uh, uh, very helpful in instigating what we need to get done on a daily basis and uh, it's all about teamwork really. So teamwork you mentioned there, what sort of size team have you got apart from your deputy? Uh, at the moment I'm running a team of about 16, 17 um, which uh, goes from trainees all the way up to guys that have been in the industry over 20 years. And is that a team that varies through the, the season? Do you, do you staff up during the you know the busier times? Uh, we don't tend to run with seasonals. We tend to try and have a full-time team, uh, mainly for consistency. Um, so no, most most of the time it's full-time staff. Now this is a, a really prestigious venue. It was built 20, 30 years ago now. Um, built as the Augusta of the southeast here. Um, how are you managing to live up to that expectation for one thing and, and what has changed in, in those 20, 30 years? Uh, I think the golf course has grown uh, uh, in those, those, that year. I think the biggest change is golf has changed. Uh, when, when East Sussex National was conceived, I think uh, the exclusive golf course was, uh, was key uh, and now it's all about getting rounds out there and making sure you get the average golfer uh, and, and the good golfer uh, a good round. Uh, and they all enjoy it regardless of their standard. I mean, we were, we were talking off camera earlier and you, you did say one of the challenges you've got is the amount of playing time on here and slow play and you're going to be looking at some changes to, to help overcome that I think, aren't you? Yeah, what we've done, well we've actually started already where we, 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 we've not allowed the rough to grow in uh, as, as aggressive as it used to. Uh, the original design was to have long uh, fescue bent uh, roughs, long roughs, uh, which uh, meant that it caused us, um, well, it looked fantastic and does look fantastic, but uh, it slows play down. So there are certain key areas uh, which have been identified where, where we'll keep the rough shorter, uh, which allows basically the golfer to find his ball easier. And in terms of uh, wear on the course, I think the course was initially designed for exclusive membership. There was uh, debentures and all sorts of things going on in terms of people buying their, their way into the club at the start. But that had an impact on the design, but that's had an impact now with the amount of play. And you're going to have to make some yeah, changes absolutely. or are making changes? The, the, the tee sizes are something we've got to start looking at. We, um, it's, you know, we, we've fought it for many years to try and keep the design as it is. Um, and it's just not manageable anymore. We have to, we're going to have to look at uh, increasing tee sizes um, to allow for wear uh, because they're just, you know, they're all small tee complexes, small tee boxes, uh, and you know they can't take the general play that we're having nowadays. Again, when the course was initially built, it was billed as being bent grass from tee to green. I think in your tenure, you've you've fiddled with that a little bit and improved on things haven't you? Uh, I would be lying if I didn't say our dear friend Power has um, prepped in. Uh, it was already 
here when I first came here uh, and has slowly become more and more aggressive. Um, bent grasses that we use, um, the, the Pencross, uh, you know, it's a US grass, um, grass species which, you know, I think in all honesty it's been a struggle to keep it um, the predominant grass species. We've moved over to grass seed by Germinal, um, which we believe is uh, so far from the overseed we've done, um, there's significant improvements. We're noticing the, the grass surface is staying greener over the winter, grass plants staying greener um, through the 007. Um, so, yeah, we're definitely seeing improvements there. So Scott, you're working with the power, I guess is a, is a good way of putting it, living with it. And um, what other challenges have you got here? Is there a particular challenge on things like irrigation or water? Uh, Water-wise, yes, it's a very, it's a clay, clay golf course, sand-based greens with clay golf course. Um, so we're fighting with the drying out during the summer. Uh, it's wall-to-wall -wall irrigation, um, although being it's actually hasn't been uh, renovated since it's. Uh, uh, installation so uh, we're starting to deal with lots of problems with irrigation so that's one thing we can put out over a million gallons a night uh, when it's working wow okay so uh, but uh, yeah I've got a full-time irrigation tech who works very hard to keep it working for me but that must be getting on for 30 years old now if it was uh, yes. installed at the, yeah. the time of build okay. yeah and you've been here 17 years the course yeah. will have matured a lot in that time and obviously for the 30 years is it where you expect it to be now or do you, do you still see it changing? I still see it changing um, I think the demands of golf are ever-changing I don't think you have a core membership as, as much as you used to um, I think that uh, membership is probably the best way of using nomadic right. uh, and therefore people are maybe choosing a number of clubs to become members of and using the uh, the different types of memberships available to allow them to be members of a number of clubs. Something we've adopted here as well. And is that putting financial pressure on you? Have your budgets changed in the in the years that you've been head head here? Uh, no, the budgets pretty much have remained uh, the same. We we uh, we we put a plan together every year, um, and uh, the owners obviously have to agree to that, and then. Uh, we pursue that every year. It, it does change year from year depending on what projects we have going, but most of the time it's fairly static. And if you, you know, over the, the last 17 years you've been here, in terms of the course itself, your, your proudest achievement in terms of managing and developing the course, what would that be? I think starting to see some of the larger competitions come back to us. So um, and when I say large, nothing like the Euro Pro or the European Open, but we've held the Tillman trophies, the European uh, Europro, sorry, um, and you know those those are bringing through new golfers, new, new golfers into the tour. Uh, so it's good for us and it's good for them. And environmental challenges here: the the groundsmen and the greenkeeper are getting fewer and fewer weapons, certainly in terms of chemicals now, with legislation changing. Uh, how are you managing, you know, pest control, disease control here with? Uh, with the tools at your disposal? Um, tools and I mean, if we take um, disease uh, throughout this winter uh, we've gone back to use rather than using uh, fungicides we've, we've gone back to using irons and trying to control harden the plant up so it's, it's ready to take the winter um, so I think that's probably a better approach here I, uh, I think every golf course is different 
uh, it would be wrong for me to say what's right for the industry. Sure. It's, it's what's right for our golf course and our piece of land that we're working on. Okay. That's an interesting approach. Is that something you've recently adopted or is it something you've been doing for a number of years now? Uh, it's, well, obviously with the changes in legislation for different product, products going out and uh, that side of things, we've adopted it. But we, we've, we've, we've used irons and things like that in the winters to control uh, or harden the plant in the past and found it works well. Let's say it works here, so that's why we do it. That's great. Well, Scott, I think we'll get out of the wind now and uh, we'll uh, continue conversations elsewhere. We're in your shed here, some shed I've got to say. It's, it's jam-pam full of you know, nice-looking bits of kit. Yes, we're very fortunate. We need a lot of equipment to do a lot of work. So um, we've uh, built the kit over a number of years. So yes, it's all stuff we use every day um, for various different tasks on the golf course. Now you've spent 17 years here at this venue, um, but I'd like to kind of wind back to where you first got involved in turf care because you didn't start out as a, a turf care professional. I think retail was your first job and then you got into it a little bit by accident, is that fair to say? Uh, well, yeah, I started out, I worked for a supermarket rank, uh, ch chain um, for a few years and then uh, decided that that wasn't what I wanted to do. So I then moved out of that, decided to go off and ski for four months uh, and decide what I wanted to do with my life. And then when I came back, my mother told me that she was fed up with me being around the house. <laughs> So I had to go and uh, get an education. Um, so she said to me that uh, she, she contacted the local um, college um, and they, they basically sent her what was left. Uh, there was thatching and greenkeeping and I didn't fancy standing on a roof so I chose greenkeeping. So thatching's lost is greenkeeping's gain then? Something like that, yeah. After you, you finished your, your education side of things, formal education should we call it, where did you go next? Uh, moved around different golf courses, um, trying you know just slowly get my uh, knowledge and experience. Uh, ended up at uh, Shrivenham Park Golf Course um, down near Swindon, um, and from there uh, I was off the opportunity to go for a seasonal job at Loch Lomond. Wow! Uh, and uh, so I went for that, uh, and then uh, spent five years there before coming here. So what did you pick up at Loch Lomond in terms of your, your education? I know you found your wife there, but you know, professionally, what did you find? Um, I think Loch Lomond taught me about high standards in the golf, golfing industry. Uh, they were very much on the forefront of um, how things should be done. Not say how they were done, but how they should be done. Uh, I had a very good mentor, Ken Seams, who uh, taught me a huge amount about the, the golfing industry and uh, what, what it's all about and what we should, be, should and shouldn't be doing. Um, and uh, yeah, that's what I've, I've taken that forward myself, I suppose. And your role at Loch Lomond when you, you left there was what? I was the first assistant when I left there um, and then came here as the head greenkeeper of the East Course. So what attracted you to this particular venue? Because it was still relatively new then, I guess, not more than 10 years old, was it? Uh, yeah, it was. Um, I, I was, I suppose, technical terms, poached. Right, um, okay. Mike Wattam, who was the ex, was the deputy up at uh, Loch Lomond, took on the head man's job down here. Right. Uh, and then about a year after he came down here, he decided that he wanted someone to take over the east and uh, contacted me and asked me if I would be interested. So that was 17 years ago now? Something like that, yeah. Okay, and you work with him for seven years as, as deputy? Uh, no, no, Mike, Mike was here for a few years and then uh, he left and then uh, Ray Day took over right. um, 
Ray was uh, took over here, was here for about five years, and then unfortunately he suffered from cancer and, and, and subsequently died from it, which was a, a massive strain on on the team at the time. Some some of which are still here. Um, and uh, yeah, we've we sort of I and I took on the role. Uh, big shoes to fill, I have to say, yeah. uh, from such a, a loud and experienced person. Scott, you, you say there were big shoes to fill and probably an unexpected step up for you and some, some things you probably had to get to grips with personally very quickly. What were the biggest challenges at that point? Uh, dealing in a different way with the staff. Um, I think from the fact that uh, it, when you're the deputy, I think you approach your team slightly different to when you're the, the, the head man. Um, I think all the paperwork that comes with it is, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, is quite interesting. Um, and I think there are, one thing I do realise in this day and age is that there are lots of new software packages that can help you right. with that. And that's something we're looking at. Okay. So, team, that's come across in my conversations with you today. You know, that's very important and, and you feel that, you know, the kit is only as good as the guys that are sitting on it. I think it was a phrase that you used. How do you bring your team along uh, in terms of their development and their, their education? Uh, well. I, I took on, um, one of the things I did when, when I took on the, the head role, if you like, was I decided that I wanted to make sure that everybody had at least a level two. Right. Um, now, that's taken a number of years and we have team, some team members leave and then new people come along and sure. then you have to re-educate them. Um, and I think that's probably one of the biggest things. We've currently got two, uh, two guys who are apprenticeship scheme um, at Plumpton's College and uh, they're slowly getting through that and doing very well. And you work closely with Plumpton to get the right candidates, do you? Uh, yes, I mean, the candidates actually were from here already. Right. Um, so, uh, but they got into the apprenticeship scheme that way. Okay. And in terms of how your team work together on a day-to-day -day basis, you're, you're expecting high standards here. How do you, how do you actually make sure they're, they're hitting those standards? Um, it's, again, it's the, it's the management team or supervisory team. Um, I've mentioned already that my deputy um, Andrew, he's, he's a real kingpin of this, um, but I've also got two very good first assistants, Steve and uh, Tom, um, who, they're just my eyes and ears to spot anything and then we try and help with whoever it is out there if they're struggling to get a task done in a certain way, trying to improve their standards really. And again, Scott, what's come across to me today is you know, you've got a real love of the place that you're working at here, you, you value your team highly, you're motivated. What's the key way that you keep your guys motivated? Uh, it's a very good question and it's not always easy. Um, I don't think there's one answer to how you keep your team motivated. I think giving the opportunity to present the golf course for such things like the European Open uh, or the Euro Pro um, is where they get the motivation, knowing that it's going to be on television, knowing that, that what they've done, how they've presented it is seen by others. Uh, it gives them a real big lift. Over the years, Scott, your managers and your mentors, um, have they motivated you? By giving me sound advice. I think that's probably the best thing I can get from it. I think by telling me to go for every opportunity that you can. I think uh, any training opportunities that come on, if there's a course available, go for it. Anything like that, really. That's how I found it, it helps you. So keep improving your knowledge yeah, and, and your experience. And those mentors, those people you've worked with, who do you think's had the biggest influence on you over the years? Uh, probably Ken Seams. Um, I think uh, 
probably in the fact that he took when he took me on uh, as, a, as, a, as a seasonal, he then saw potential in me. Um, and you know he's he was a very relaxed course manager um, and very calm in what he did. Um, so you know I've taken that approach as well. If you eventually you know hang up the rake or you know put the mower away and, and decide that you're going to retire and you leave this venue, um, what do you hope you've left behind? What's your mark going to be? Because the golf course industry is changing so massively, I think um, it's difficult to say what I what I would like to leave. I'd like to leave it so that the next person who picks up has hasn't as many challenges as I've had, so that they can take the golf course forward and just sustain it and maintain it for the the amount of play that we get nowadays. If you were going to give a piece of advice to a young greenkeeper coming through who's ambitious, wants to get to you know be the head of a course at some point, what would you say to them? Uh, don't be shy of challenges, don't have broad shoulders, accept people's criticisms and people's comments, allow your time to think about it before you make your own judgement.